this is a, a great Sunday, and I get the privilege of talking to you about where we are at as we publicly re- release the progress we've been making in our capital campaign called The Avenue. As we are trying to purchase this facility next door to us to create an avenue to bring people to Jesus. And so what I uh, want to remind you of is just kind of where we're, we're at in this whole process And so uh, the first thing that you need to know as we talk through this is we set some pretty lofty goals in place. And as last week we talked through um, commitment cards and and having people, everyone turned in a commitment card who who calls Waukee Community Church their home. We asked everyone to do it. We wanted participation from everyone. And uh, and so as we work through uh, these these things today, the first thing I need you to know is that we've had 40 commitment cards turned in. And so this is huge. At Waukee Community Church, we have roughly 50 families that call this their home. And so we've had over 78% participation in uh, this this thing, which is just huge, you guys. We talked about, uh, from a celebration standpoint, uh, wanting to know, is the body really invested in this idea of, of having a facility and creating an avenue to point people to Jesus? And just by the sheer uh, volume of response to this thing, uh, for, for families that have responded to this, it has been a, a great joy. So let me remind you of, of what the different phases we are working on in this campaign. So our goal has been this. In phase one, we We've talked about raising $80,000, $80,000 by May 11th, which is 11 days from now. And, uh, and we asked in a commitment for people to, to give a gift to the, towards this. And what this $80,000 would do is we would be able to add it to the money that we already have. Um, we have our financing secured, and we would be able to add this to the money that we've already saved up and actually purchase the building next door to us. And so phase two then is during the month of June, July, and August, we're trying to ask for pledges to raise enough money where we could begin the renovation part of the space that we're going to be using in the facility. And we, we figured we needed about $85,000 to do that. Another $85,000 would get us the ability to renovate the uh, interior of the facility and uh, purchase things for the facility that we couldn't finance. Um, you know, things like video equipment and sound equipment and some of those things, chairs, things like that. Um, we couldn't finance those, and so we needed to raise money in particular for those. And so if you add those two things together, you get our total goal of phase one and two by September 1st of $165,000. So our finance team tells me that as we have, uh, as we have collected these, here's where we're at. Here's where we actually landed in terms of commitment to this. And during phase one, we wanted to raise $80,000, and we have raised $106,045. And so, uh, uh, so th- this is incredible. During phase two, uh, we raised $55,355 in pledges and commitments to the total of phase one and two brings us to $161,400. Uh, and so God has just been so good in this process. And while, yes, we are just a little bit short still, uh, it won't, what we'll be able to do right now is initially we'll be able to close on this facility and purchase the facility. And right away in June, as soon as our contractor uh, can get all things lined up, we can begin the renovation process immediately to begin to finish off that space. And we, we will have enough resources if all these pledges come in uh, on time. If, we, if these all come in on time as they've been pledged, we'll have the resources to finish this off. 
off, and, and we're still a little short on a few things. I'm just confident that God uh, will move and make up that difference. Uh, there are always things that come up that we didn't expect, and so uh, it would be great if we could raise over the 165 to compensate for some of those. But immediately, uh, this is just great news. We get to do this, you guys, and I'm so excited about it. Um, so we are scheduled uh, to close on June 1st on this facility. If you were to look, uh, the next slide, Doug, shows that during phase one and two, there's the amount we raised. We talked about a phase three, and we didn't have a particular goal in mind for this. Phase three is where we would take, and eventually some of the leases that we are leasing out to other people over there will expire, and we'd be able to take over some of their space or potentially move uh, an add-on to the building over there. And so we have some options in a couple of years of what we can do over there. So phase three was kind of setting us up for this. And we have pledges and commitments for $27,000, which in phase three, which is a fantastic start to potentially doing something over there with that space so that we won't have to have this building for our children's ministry and that building for our worship space. We'll be able to pull them all together under one roof. And so uh, I'm just overwhelmed by God's goodness in this whole process. There was a verse that uh, came to mind to me um, from from the book of First Chronicles. We use First Chronicles uh, to, as a guide for this capital campaign about how King David approached this. And uh, Doug, put that verse up there, this verse for, that King David says. In response to the, the commitment of the leaders back in Israel, he says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. I love this verse. It just reflects my heart in this. And I know your heart too. That God has been so good and so generous to us. And so today's the celebration. It's And so please, you have, even if you're like on a diet where you don't eat ice cream, I'm forcing you to eat ice cream today um, as a big celebration of this event. Okay, we want to go to Genesis chapter 26 now as we prepare at the end of our service to celebrate the ordinance of baptism as we have some, some individuals who are being baptized uh, as followers of Jesus. And so as we prepare to get to there, we're also wrapping up our series in Genesis on the on person of Abraham. We've been tracking Abraham and God's promise in Abraham's life for quite some time now, and today we're wrapping up this series. And we're talking about God's promises triumph. We spent a lot of time talking about God's promises, and today I want to talk about the fact that God's promises triumph. I've been thinking about everybody loves a story of triumph. Everyone loves a story of someone who has overwhelming odds and triumphing. I think of the Kansas City Royals, right? For years, suffering in anguish, and yet last year, they triumphed to win the World Series. Triumph overcoming odds, you know? It's great. It's a, what a great story. We love it. Um, or think about movies like, uh, or stories like even Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, you know? He's got this mission to take this ring and throw it, take it to Mordor and throw it in Mount Doom, and, and all the odds are stacked against him, and he should never be able to do this, and yet we see him overcoming and triumphing. Uh, as a Cubs fan, I really, really, really wanted <laughs> to have a story of overcoming, but it's been 108 years. Um, I couldn't come up with one. But nonetheless, I hold out hope, right? We love stories of overcoming because they remind us of things that when they seem hopeless, 
can go well. There are times, friends, God seems hopeless to us. There are times when it seems hopeless. Sometimes we think on a grand or cultural scale or a global scale even. We look around and it seems that the tides of culture are changing. And sometimes this uh, utopian evangelical America that so many have longed for seems to be slipping away. And then sometimes we lose sight of the promises that are actually God's kingdom and that God's promises do triumph. It just might look differently than we expected. Sometimes it's easy for us to lose hope on a big scale. Sometimes it's easy for us to lose hope on a small scale, on a personal scale. If you've ever experienced a hopelessness or a darkness, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever felt a cloud of despair that feels like it's never going to lift, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been so tired of longing for something that isn't there, it might feel that all hope is gone. And in the face of these things, the power of Scripture, God's Word to us, speaks of God's promises. And today I want you to remind you that the promises of God triumph. They do, and they always do. The promise of God, in uh, specifically we've learned in Genesis, are tied to the promise of the kingdom of God. And so if we were to look at a summary of the kingdom, simply this, this idea that God created a kingdom with his people, who he created them, whom he loved, but there was this deep rebellion back, way back in Genesis chapter 3, where Satan became an imposter king. And it's been God's story and God's mission throughout the years to build his kingdom, to take it back from the enemy. And so we see this, that God is rebuilding a kingdom that is, that is ruled by an imposter king, even though he's defeated. And in Genesis chapter 12, God begins this hope of his promise with one man, Abraham. Every week I show you this slide to remind you of God's promise to Abraham. Specifically, God promised four things to Abraham. He promised to make Abraham into a great nation, which as we have learned over and over and over through the life of Abraham, this is the primary question. How can we create a great nation out of Abraham when Abraham has no children? He has no descendants. And so, so much of the story of God working out in the promises of God are, revolve around this idea of Abraham having an heir. And of course, we see that come to fruition in Isaac. God also blessed, uh, blessed Abraham way back in Genesis 12, and he said, I'm going to make you a great name. And then he said, you're going to be... Your nation that I'm going to create is going to be a great blessing to all the world. Ultimately, see the fruition of that in Jesus. And then the last thing he promised to Abraham was a great land. He said, Abraham, your descendants will occupy this great land that I'm in, that you're in right now, the land of Canaan. And so Abraham went to the land of Canaan, and God promised it to him. And we spend a bulk of the story seeing how these things fleshed out in Abraham's life, the promises of God. There was a physical journey. This is a journey with the promise of God for Abraham. It was a physical journey. Abraham traveled probably about a thousand miles to get to the promised land, the land he didn't even know where it was. He just went in this physical journey, but it's also been a spiritual journey for him. He's learned to walk in the promise of God, really climaxing in the story of Abraham taking Isaac to the altar. 
and setting Isaac, this promised child, on the altar and preparing to sacrifice him. And of course, God stayed his hand, ultimately pointing us to his own son, who God wouldn't stay his hand and gave up his own son for us all. Today, we wrap up this series, and oddly enough, we wrap up the series on Abraham by not really talking about Abraham, but his son Isaac. And the reason that we choose to su- summarize the life of Abraham through a story about Isaac is because of this. It's because of the way the structure of Genesis is written. The structure of Genesis, if you were to lay it out and map it out on a piece of paper, you would see some key phrases throughout the book of Genesis. These are the stories of, and it will say a person, and then it will tell the account or the story of their son. And everyone has a section except for Isaac. Everyone gets a a section marked out except for Isaac. And the reason for this is because the the story of Isaac is intrinsically tied to the story of Abraham because God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled through Isaac. And so it really becomes the perfect section to summarize everything we've talked about and to see how God's promises triumph. There's a few ways I want to talk about that how God's promises triumph in our lives today as we look through Genesis chapter 26. And the first way we want to see is in verses 1 to 5. And we see God's promises triumph from generation to generation. God reviews his covenant with Isaac here in the first part of Genesis chapter 26. The same covenant, the same promise he made to Abraham, he's now going to give to Abraham's son Isaac. And up to this point, Abraham has traversed nearly a hundred years in his journey with God. And he's been growing in this beautiful promise with God. And now at the last part of Abraham's story, we're going to see how God's promise extends past Abraham to his son. From generation to generation. Isaac is hanging out in the promised land. He's hanging out in a region that is currently owned by what would one day really become uh, a nation we know as the Philistines. But he's hanging out in this land called Gerar and he's staying there. And God tells Isaac, he said, listen, I'm going to renew the promise that I gave to your father with you. Don't leave. Don't go down to Egypt. I know you're tempted to go down to Egypt and look for some safety down there, but don't. God says, I'll take care of you right here in the promised land, in this region of Gerar. And so he renews this covenant, and look at verse 3 and 4 of chapter 26. The Lord appears to him, and he says, Stay in the land, Isaac, for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For you and your descendants, I will give these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars. These are the exact same promises that God gave to Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all the lands and through your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Do you see the promise of God repeated here? It's just absolutely repeated for him. Great nation, great name, great blessing, great land. And this promise, of course, is renewed to you and me through Jesus. A summary... of what God did for us in Jesus. This promise comes to us through simply the idea of the gospel. 
that God himself would fulfill this promise by becoming one of us, that he would give his life. When we say, oh, praise the one who paid my debt, who raised my life up from the dead, when we sing Jesus paid it all, this is the promise of Abraham coming to us. It's the gospel, the good news, that our sins are forgiven in Christ. And the promise of God's kingdom work, just as it did from Abraham to Isaac, transcends generations. This is a point that I made last week specifically, that we have a responsibility to pass the promise of God on to the next generation. Sometimes in the darkest of places, though, it seems like this is not happening. It seems that the promises of God aren't triumphing. And we think, might think that God's promise to restore his kingdom on this earth is done for because sometimes the depravity of this world seems so dark and thick. Sometimes it seems that God isn't winning. But one of the things that Jesus spoke to us on this regard rings true. Jesus said in the Gospels, he said, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the darkest of times, when it seems that the promise of God is not passing from generation to generation, it is. God's promise transcends it. And this is how the kingdom of God advances. The story of God's promise passes from Abraham to Isaac. That's the first thing. But through Jesus, we are children of God. And this is our story. And we continue our story from generation to generation. And that is how God's promise triumphs. God's promises always triumph. And we see this as God renews his covenant with Isaac, the son of Abraham, from generation to generation. There's a second way in, we, in which we see God's promises always triumph. If the first way is that God's promises triumph from generation to generation, the second way is simply this, that God's promises always triumph in spite of our sin. God's promises triumph in spite of our sin. We find this in verses 6 to 11. In verses 6 to 11, we see this. Isaac hanging out in Gerar, this this land of the Philistines, but which is within the promised land. And look at what we see in verse 7. God has told Isaac, don't leave. I'm going to bless you here. Look what happens in verse 7 of 26. When the men of that place asked Isaac about his wife, he said, she's my sister. Because he was afraid to say she's my wife, he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah. Because she is beautiful. Where have I heard this before? I, I don't, where have I heard this before? Oh, yes, his father did the exact same thing twice. Abraham did this twice. Way back in Genesis 12, we see Abraham did this. He goes down to Egypt, and Abraham put the entire promise of God in jeopardy because he took matters into his own hands. He didn't trust God. And later in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham did this again in the same place, Gerar, with the same king Abimelech. Abraham did it again with Sarah, and he put the promise of God in jeopardy again because Abraham didn't trust God to take care of him. And here we see Isaac doing the same thing. God told him to stay there, and he's absolutely convinced this, that God told him to stay there, but he's not absolutely convinced that God will protect him. And so Isaac begins to scheme and lie for his own protection. He fails to trust God. And look what happens. If you continue to look at the verse, look at verse 10. Then Abimelech, the king of the region, said, 
what is this you've done? Uh, Abimelech's hanging out one day on the top of his uh, house, and he looks down, and, and he sees Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, the NIV translates it caressing. Uh, the Hebrew actually says he saw Isaac Isaacing. Uh, it's because Isaac main, name means laughter. It's just a, a euphemism for, uh, for him uh, caressing his wife, we'll say. And so he's there, and the king looks down and sees, wait a minute, this isn't his sister, clearly. And he says, what have you done? Verse 10, one of the men might as well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. And once again, Isaac, just like his dad, schemed for his own protection, and it didn't turn out well. I don't know if you noticed this, but sometimes we are just like our parents. Have you ever had a moment where you realized that you were just like your parents? Uh, so one of the things that I always laughed about with my dad is that uh, he liked the same kinds of foods. Like over and over again, he'd get the same thing. In fact, to the end of his life, it came to the point where my dad, the only thing he would order at any kind of restaurant was a cheeseburger and french fries. That's all he wanted, cheeseburger and french fries. But even as a kid, I remember, we like, he'd go to the restaurant and he'd like get the same things at every restaurant. And I used to think, when I was younger, I'd think, you know, I will never be like that. That is so boring. Like, I, I'll be adventurous, you know? I like to try new things and go to new places and do this. Uh, and, and what's funny, the other day I was looking uh, and thinking about it, and I, I went over to Jimmy John's, and I got a number one. And I realized when I went in there that the guy was ready for me, and he knew what I was going to order, a number one. Or if I go to Shanghai and I get Empress Chicken, because that's what I always get at Shanghai. Or if I go over here to Mickey's Restaurant in Waukee, and, and the guy knows, the lady knows there, that I get a grilled chicken salad. If I go to a barbecue place, I'm pretty much going to get a pulled pork sandwich. Like, I am my father. Like, it just, I was like, I turned into my dad. Have you ever had this moment? At lunch today, you should probably share those stories around the table of how you're just like your parents. Uh, sometimes we don't like this fact, uh, a, a fact that was uh, pointed out to me by one time when I looked at my wife and she had done something that I didn't appreciate. And in a moment of stupidity, I said, you are just like your mother, which is uh, something a man should never, ever, ever, ever say to his wife. I'm so sorry, dear. Uh, <laughs> never, ever, ever say that to your wife. Uh, Sometimes we don't like to be reminded of this fact, but in, uh, sometimes there are destructive and sinful patterns, and God's Spirit, though, gives us the power to break these. Sometimes we feel locked in to that we end up just doing the same things we, we've done because our parents did that. I, you've heard uh, people say this called generational sin, like people feel trapped in it. But you know the good news in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah speaks of this new covenant in the kingdom of God, this, this era that we are living in right now. And you know what he says? Jeremiah says, in those days, the ones we're living in right now, those of us under Christ, people will no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. It was a saying back in the day, if the parents eat the grapes, the the kid tastes the sourness, sour grapes in, in his mouth. In other words, the idea is whatever the curse of the father is passed to the son. No more, because the Holy Spirit lives in those who have believed and expressed 
faith in Jesus. And he breaks the power of sin. And what we see is just as in spite of Isaac's sin, who's just like his father, God's promises triumph. Always. Even in spite of our sin. Look at verse 11. Look what happens as we continue the story. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. In spite of Isaac's failure to trust God, God still protects Isaac. He does. And you and I, the encouragement to us today that we've talked about over and over in this series is you and I cannot screw up the promise of God. We just can't. His promise is bigger than our sin. And in spite of all that, God's promises always triumph, even in spite of our sin. The third thing that I want to remind you as the story continues today is God's promises always triumph, not just in spite of our sin, but in spite of antagonists as well. In verses 12 to 25, we see this account unfold in front of us. After Abimelech gives his men a charge not to harm Isaac in any way, Isaac settles down in this region, in Abimelech's territory. He settles down, and it goes well. He gains lots of flocks and servants and money. He starts to become, as his, as his crops grow, his animals grow, and his servants grow, he starts to become a large group of people. And all of a sudden, Abimelech looks around and goes, you know... If Isaac wanted to, like he could probably gather all his servants and come to war against us. And that would go really badly for us, maybe. And I'm kind of tired of it. And so Abimelech turns on him and he moves away. And as as Isaac gets kind of shoot out of the country, every time he moves a little farther away, the servants of Abimelech start quarreling. The herdsmen for Abimelech start quarreling with the herdsmen for for Isaac. and, And this tension mounts. And so Isaac eventually moves all the way to a place called Beersheba. And look what happens in verse 24. When the height of the conflict is underway, when Abraham's keeps, when, excuse me, when Isaac keeps moving farther and farther and farther away and getting shoot out in the face of this conflict, look what happens. That night the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, verse 24, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I will bless you, and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. In spite of antagonists, God says to him, do not fear. He says to Isaac what he says to so many others across scripture, do not fear. Sometimes we look at antagonists and we think, we think that there are people who are against us. And we think that there are those who would work to thwart the promise of God and the blessing of God in our lives. But God says to us, do not fear. You, you don't have to be anxious, he says, because I will keep my promises. He says to you, you don't have to lay awake at night worrying. Because I am in control and I keep my word. You don't have to fear the unknown. You don't have to fear being alone. You don't have to fear change. You don't have to fear sorrow. God says, I keep my promises and I will always be with you. One of the most 
single most encouraging words in the Bible is Jesus saying, I will never leave you. I'm sending my spirit with you to comfort you. Until the kingdom of God finds its fulfillment at the return of Jesus, there will always be antagonists, enemies of the kingdom of God. There will always be enemies. And God says to us, do not fear. If you feel like things are going the wrong way, do not fear. Increasingly, it seems that Christians experience more and more pushback from our culture. People will treat you wrongly. And sometimes there are antagonists, not only outside of the church, but in the church. But God's promises always triumph. Do not fear. Look with the eyes of God's promises. See what he's doing. Just don't, don't just throw up your hands in despair and go, well, it didn't work out. God's promises always triumph. And just know that's true. It brings peace. Our response then is so important. In spite of antagonists, God's promise triumphs. And look what Isaac does in response to God telling him, do not fear. Verse 25, Isaac built an altar. And there he called on the name of the Lord. Isaac's response to the promise of God in the face of antagonists is to worship God. And our proper response in the darkest of times, in the moments when it seems like God's promises are gone, is to worship Him. Because God's promises always triumph. And then lastly, we see in this that God's promises always triumph, not just in the face of antagonists, but with the blessing of God's presence. God's promises always triumph with the blessing of His presence. So things are going well for Isaac. He's hanging out now. Um, he's finally got away from Abimelech and all the tension and antagonism that came with that. And it, it appears that the conflict is over. And so he's just settled down in a region of Beersheba. He's away. All's going well. It seems like life is good. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one day, Abimelech shows up. He shows up. He comes up riding into camp. And Isaac kind of says, hey, what gives? Like, didn't you just kick me out? Like, you kicked me out. Why are you now, what are you doing here? And Abimelech then replies, of course, to Isaac. He says, hey, well, to be honest, we're sitting at home and we're hearing word that, from people that things are going pretty well for you and uh, that God's blessed you and, uh, and we're a little worried about this. Uh, we're, we're kind of worried that you've gotten a little too powerful. So what we'd like to do, because we know we can't take you out, so what we'd like to do is create a treaty with you. Let's create a treaty. You won't attack us. We won't attack you. Because the reality is it would go really bad for us. Because look at what he says in verse 29. He says it right there. He says, um, uh, he says, And now you are blessed by the Lord. Abimelech acknowledges the promise of God in, in Isaac's life. And in verse 32 and verse 33, we continue. That day, Isaac's servants, they, came, they come up to this agreement. They create a treaty. And that day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. 
There had been a lot of tension about wells. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, if you wanted to create or have flocks of, of animals or herds, you needed a source of water. And what these guys were doing was guerrilla warfare. They'd keep stopping up the wells that Isaac's servants had dug. And so they found a new well. And on that day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. And they said, hey, we found water. And Isaac called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. You know what that means? If you were to look over in your notes and, and look at it, Sheba or Sheba means oath or covenant. And there's two aspects of this. One, Isaac is acknowledging that he has just created an oath or covenant with Abimelech. And God has brought the blessing of peace into his life. The second thing that Abraham or Isaac, excuse me, is acknowledging is that, that God's covenant with him was an oath or a promise. And that God's promise is kept in his life. The blessing of God's promise doesn't exactly look the same for us as it did for Isaac. God does not promise to give us wealth or ease or perfect harmony in life. But what God does promise to us clearly in Christ is to give us himself. Jesus is our treasure and great reward. The gospel is our blessing, and we walk in it with joy, not because someday we get to go to heaven, but because we get Jesus. And that is the blessing of the promise of God. And in a sense today, as we're about ready to celebrate this ordinance of baptism together, in a sense, this is God's great promise to us, which is symbolized in baptism. When we're about to take uh, these three believers in Jesus who want to follow in this step of obedience after Christ. There is a lot of symbolism going on here of God's great blessing of his presence. Because what baptism is all about is about identification with Christ. So when a person is baptized and they go under the water, essentially what they're saying is, I die with Jesus. I take his death and I am like him. With him, I take his death and apply it to me. And now I have died to myself. And so there's a death and burial that happens in baptism. And then when someone comes out of the water, it's being identified with Christ in the resurrection. There's a picture when the person comes out of the water of being raised, raised to new life in Christ. And this is the picture. It's all about identifying with the blessing of God's presence. Saying, Jesus is my hope. I identify with him. God's promise is always triumph. There's no greater triumph than the resurrection of Jesus. There is no greater triumph. When Jesus defeated sin and death, when the stone rolled away and he defeated death and came out, there's no greater triumph of God's promises than the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to celebrate this today because God's promises always triumph. No matter what's happening, his promises always triumph. Um, so you guys know that I love to have baseball illustrations and uh, it's baseball season and it's no different. I keep talking about the Cubs. But uh, recently, Jake Arrieta pitched a no-hitter for the Cubs. Now, this is a big deal uh, because... Uh, other than 2008 when Carlos Zambrano threw one, which didn't really count because, well, anyway. Anyway, but uh, it had been since like 1971, Milt Pappas, 
Thanks, Mark. It had been a long time, and there had been many times where my fellow Cubs fans have watched a no-hitter go into the sixth, seventh, eighth inning only to blow this no-hitter. Uh, but last, uh, last fall, Jake Arrieta threw his first no-hitter as a Cub, and, uh, and it was awesome. And I remember, you know, biting my nails and being nervous and watching this thing. Well, uh, last week, he, 10 days ago maybe, he threw another no-hitter. It was a very different experience for me. I, I'm watching this thing unfold. I, started, I, I, I had been tracking it, and once I found it was no hitter, I, I flipped it on about the seventh inning and, and started watching. And while the first time, you have to understand, Jake Arrieta has had a historic performance as a Cub. Uh, in the second half of last year, he posted a lower ERA than any pitcher ever. Like, this is crazy. So this time... When Jake Arietta takes his no-hitter into the seventh and eighth inning, I wasn't biting my nails. I wasn't pacing. I just go, oh, yeah, he's going to throw another no-hitter. Oh, that's cool. It was this absolute hope and confidence in a, cool, a guy with a great beard. You know, like uh, it, it was this absolute confidence based on his track record. Friends, if we can have absolute confidence in a guy with a <laughs> who throws a baseball really well, because of his track record, how much more can we have confidence in the God of the universe? The God who has all power to keep his promises, even in very dark times. And so we identify with him today. And so today we are going to baptize Etta Fish, Zoe Fish, and Drew Fish and I thought it would be no better way to introduce this than to have their dad come up and uh, talk through a little bit uh, of what's going on in their life and share a little bit about baptism. Thanks, Dave. Well, first of all, got my notes. Uh, really appreciate all family and friends that have come here today. Really appreciate all your love and support for us and our family. It means a great deal to us. Well, first of all, when I was thinking about what I was going to say today, you know, a few verses kind of came to mind. Uh, first of all was Mark 10, 15. And unfortunately, this Bible has the smallest writing in the world, <laughs> and I'm getting old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it says, Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so it just reminded me that, you know, we need to come to Jesus as a child. And seeing your children, you know, love Jesus and, and really uh, uh, take that to heart. You know, as my dad used to say, it's not, the, uh, <clears throat> it's not the head knowledge, it's the heart knowledge. And seeing that, we actually had uh, a good experience this week. We saw Zoe go from the head to the heart knowledge. And so that was... Uh, really exciting experience for us. So there's nothing that makes you prouder as a, as a parent than to see your parent or your kids really make that decision of faith and to not only understand but take it to heart uh, the story of Jesus and, and his death and resurrection that we may be uh, with him one day in glory and that he uh, gives us not only that but uh, the way to live our lives. Another verse that came to mind was, uh, let me see where it was, Romans 6, not Romans 6, that was the last one, Romans 10, 9 through 10. 
again, a little hard. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so all Zoe, uh, Drew, and Etta have done that. And lastly, about baptism. Romans 6, 3, and just like uh, Dave said a little bit earlier tonight, or today, says that, or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. We are therefore buried with him through baptism and into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So that's what we're doing here today. So I want to bring Drew, Etta, and Zoe up with us today, and I will give this to you, Dave.